John 3. And so if you'll turn there, because in our passage this morning, it's like the song we just sang, in Christ alone, our hope, in Christ alone. It's not really the focus of the section, but what he's going to show us in this section are some great truths about Christ. In John chapter 3, it's a very well-known chapter of the Bible. It's a chapter that has verse 16 in it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It has, it has the words to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And it has this statement that we are looking at this morning in verse 30 of John 3. He must increase, but I must decrease. That all comes out of John chapter 3. And that's where we find ourselves in our verse-by-verse study of the book of John. He said those words, he must increase, I must decrease. Do you remember who said that? Last time, two weeks ago, do you remember the context in which he said those words? This narrative starts back up in verse 22. This narrative starts with telling us about John the Baptist. It's telling us that John the Baptist, the ministry of John the Baptist and the ministry of Jesus are overlapping. We're in an overlapping season. The ministry of Jesus has just started. John's ministry has been going on for a period of time. John, extremely popular. People coming out to see John. People coming out to listen to John preach. People coming out to be baptized by John. John, extremely popular in the eyes of the Jews. But a problem arises. The disciples of John, in their flesh, get very jealous. They get very jealous because they see Jesus attracting crowds. They see Jesus and his disciples attracting crowds. And what I told you this was about last week is pride and humility. Pride and humility. Key verse, he must increase, I must decrease. John the Baptist is going to say that to his disciples who are jealous, full of pride, full of envy, competitive. Feel like their rights are being infringed on. This guy's invading our space, John. John, you, you're the, you were here first, John. You have rights, John. Come on, John. Stand up for John. Do something, John. Don't let's let this guy get away with it. Hey, listen, that is, this is not proper protocol. The guy that you introduced to the nation it should not be a guy that's absurding you. You probably go through this politics in your office, family, classroom, whatever, all the time. Nothing new here. These are just individuals operating in their flesh, full of pride. John, do something. John, you should be offended by this. They're very competitive in their minds. That's what pride is like. Everything I've told you is what pride is like. John the Baptist, on the other hand, doesn't respond to them like that. He says things like, no, God is sovereign. God, God discerns the ministry. I don't. God puts you where he wants to place you. God takes care of the fruit of a ministry. I just want to be faithful in doing it right. I'm more concerned, as I heard one pastor say, I'm more concerned with the depth of my ministry than the breadth of it. God takes care of the breadth. I'm just concerned with I'm going to be obedient to God and trust him with the results. Listen, John took all the focus off of John 
They want him to focus on John. Hey, their jobs are at stake. I mean, goodness, this guy's going to take our place. John basically just tells them, nope, I'm satisfied just being the best man at the wedding. Not the bridegroom, but the best man. The guy that comes alongside the bridegroom and makes everything work for the bridegroom. And back in the shadows, this is what John the Baptist says. This is the transition, and John the Baptist is being transitioned. This way, Jesus is coming to the forefront. This is a a major point in the the ministry of Christ and John the Baptist. John the Baptist is going to be here killed pretty soon anyway because he offends Herod's wife. Because it's not supposed to be his wife. It's, he stole her from his brother. So that's another day. But the point is, you get the idea here, what's going on. You know why jo- John said this. He must increase, I must decrease. And today what he's going to do is give us some reasons why, reasons why it's, it's foolish to think you could ever compete with Christ. It's foolish to think you could ever even be second to Christ because Christ is so much greater. And that's what goes on in verses 31 through 36. Let me just say a little bit about he must increase, I must decrease. That is easy to read, easy verse to memorize, very difficult verse for you and me to apply. I can say it, it just flows out of my mouth so easily. Folks, I want to tell you something. I really, in my heart of hearts, kind of go against it. And so do you. My problem and your problem is pride. My problem and your problem is I don't want to be self-forgetful. I don't want to be where I don't put myself first. I talk about it, and it sounds spiritual to say I want to do that, but I tell you, when it comes down to it, I'm pressed sometimes, I find myself, you know what it is? It's self-exaltation self-exaltation that is behind every sin you and I commit self-exaltation I want things my way I want things to be according to my understanding I want my opinion to count I want my rights to be protected I want my rights to be respected self-exaltation I don't even like it when the Bible tells me to do something I don't agree with. You know, a lot of people are fine with believing in an inerrant Bible. They will defend an inerrant Bible all over the place. But when it comes down to the authority of the Bible, the authority in their life, they, they flinch. I don't like what it says about immorality. I don't like what it says about submitting to your husband. I don't like what it says about loving your wife sacrificially. I don't like what it says about divorce and remarriage. I don't like what it says about homosexuality. I don't like what it says about I've got to forgive others. I don't like those things. They go against my self-exalting nature. 
Folks, this is, this is the root of every problem I have. Every conflict I have with somebody else is because of my self-exaltation. I'm not self-forgetful. I'm very much aware of what I want. And so are you. We read, he must increase, I must decrease. Easy to read. Difficult to apply. Difficult to have the humility that John has modeled here for us. I identify more with his disciples than I do with John. I want to be the captain of my own ship. And this exaltation will leave you a very, this self-exaltation, and you just check me on this, you just stop and think sometime when you're about to, when life starts coming at you and you find yourself responding in a certain way, ask yourself, what am I doing? What am I thinking? What's my motivation? And I guarantee you, if you're lashing out, getting angry, fighting against everybody, competing with everybody, manifesting the same attributes that these disciples did, you can trace it back to self-exaltation. I want to exalt myself. I don't want to exalt Jesus. Listen, you will not grow in your spiritual life without self-forgetfulness, without forgetting yourself. You will not grow in your Christian life, and neither will I, if I do not deny myself and take up my cross and follow him. There's no room for exalting self and being a follower of Christ and growing in the Christian life. I can't make myself humble. That's something God has to do in me. But I can certainly cultivate a heart and attitudes that do not promote it because that's what I'm doing. I'm promoting me. John says, I'm not going to promote me. Christ is greater, and I'm going to promote him. He must increase, I must decrease. We're to be different from the world. Jesus wants us to be different from the world. This world world is so caught up in self-love. Do you realize that Paul told Timothy one of the signs of the end times is men will be lovers of self? (laughs) That alone... Israel's one thing, but that alone tells me we're close. We live in a culture that cultivates and encourages loving yourself. Self-esteem has even gotten into the church so much that everybody's being told you need to love yourself first before you can love somebody else. That is a lie. That is not true. Don't believe that. It's not at all right. That's psychology talking. That's the world's wisdom talking. That's not the Bible talking. It's about denying you. Even when you're caught up in self-pity, you're caught up in you. You're caught up in you. You're just caught up in you. How could they treat me that way? How could I be such a failure? I'm so much better than that. Or whatever. I say all these things, folks, because I think I struggle with all this. This is all me I'm talking about up here. These are hard attitudes that rise up in me as well. 
So I have firsthand experience, as do you. So when I read those words, easy to read, hard to apply, but this is exactly what John said. He has come to and realizes that he must, he must, look, he must decrease. He must fade out of the picture. He must not get in the way. Now I come to verse 31, John 3. Are you in John 3? John 3, we've got a, our time left. I need to look at these verses. John 3, 31 and following. Uh, we're not sure, by the way, 31 through 36. We're not sure, by the way, if John is saying this. I believe John is saying everything prior to this, 22 through 30. I'm just not sure, and most commentators are not sure if if John is speaking here or if John the Apostle is speaking here. Is it John the Baptist that's continuing dialogue here or is it John the Apostle giving commentary to what John said? This happened earlier in John 3 as well. But the point is, it doesn't really matter. These are truths that tie in to the statement in verse 30. Why you must decrease, why he must decrease increased and he gives here some just great truths about Christ and there I just want to focus on in our time remaining this morning verse 31 the first one I would say he's got an uncommon origin nobody nobody but Jesus started like this in fact there is no starting of Jesus he's always been uncommon origin Back in verse, here's what he says in 31. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. He's talking about Christ. He's saying he who comes from above, that's one Greek word, that above there. The second Greek word above there means in terms of authority over. The first above would be the location, the heavens. The second above would be term of authority. He, because he came, because he uh, descended, he said back in 3.13 that only one has ever descended from heaven. He's the only one that's ever descended from heaven, and yet he is above all. That's his origin. He comes from above and is above all. And compare that with, by contrast, compare that with us. Compare that with John the Baptist and his disciples and his audience. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. See, we're not from above. We're of the earth. Jesus is superior because of where he came from. He's got a better zip code, folks got a better zip code this is a reason he is superior the reason he is superior all my points of reference are limited all your points of references are earthly you are earthbound you are you are limited by the laws of the universe the laws of nature you are you are limited by gravity you cannot defy it you will fall flat on your face if you jump out of a tree you are you are under the law of entropy everything is wearing down breaking down we're under those physical laws time you're under the laws 
of time, restraints of time. Not Christ. Spiritually, we live in a sin-cursed world full of pain, full of sadness, full of wars, full of rumors of wars. That which is flesh is flesh. That which is spirit is spirit. How How did you spend your week? Well, you spent your week trying to manage the chaos, right? Because we live in a chaotic world. You've got to get your schedule in order. That thing, every week it faces you, and then you start over next week. You've got to pay your bills. You've got to keep your house clean. You can't understand why I did it once. Why I got to do it again? I mean, it's just, it just goes on and on and on. You've got to wash those dishes that got dirty again. How does this, what is, life is just, that's what life is, managing the chaos. Because we are earthbound. And it has to be managed, and it has, there are limitations, and I got to bring order to the chaos all the time. Getting enough sleep, all those things. I am constrained to the laws of this world. He is not of this world. He came into this world, he invaded our box. Think about it this way we live in a box. We can't see outside of it. We are confined by all the laws inside the box. He invaded the box. He humbled himself, became a man, invaded this world, put himself within the constraints of time in chaos. He did not come from this earth. He came from above. (laughs) That's why we say Christianity is revealed. That's my next point, actually, but it's revealed I wouldn't know nothing inside this box unless he came and told me. He is superior to you. He's superior to all humanity. John 1.1, 1, 1, this says it all. In the beginning was the Word. To be, the, to be in the beginning means you are eternal. And the Word was with God and the Word is God. That Word that became flesh was eternal. That word that became flesh was the one who created all things, John 1, 2 says. Just understand this. John the Baptist, hey disciples, I got news for you. There is no second place even to Christ who came to have first place, Paul says in Colossians, in everything. You can't make yourself even second place to that. There's no way to even come close to that. It's futile to even talk like that. Here's a verse, and my point will be done. 5-2 of Micah. But as for you, Bethlehem, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. From you, Bethlehem. From you, house of bread. That's what Bethlehem means, house of bread. Will come one who will be a ruler for Israel. His going forths are from long ago, from the days of eternity. A ruler will come from Bethlehem who is eternal. He's got a better zip code, no doubt about it. Apart from him, we are nothing. He must increase. I must decrease. Secondly, notice his testimony. Notice his... uh, what he testifies, it says in verse 32. His testimony is unique. I said a little bit about this just a second ago, but <clears throat> John is emphasizing here his testimony about God. He's been to heaven. He can tell us things about heaven. 
He tells us things about God. Notice we were told in John chapter 1, he came to explain God to us. Inside this box, all we can do is speculate about what God is like. People do that all the time. They can't see outside the box. And so they speculate. That's what religion is. They speculate about how they can get outside the box, get to God. I told you, that's religion. That's the approach of religion. God invaded our box and brought the message to us. God invaded the box and said, I am God, and here is what God is like. He's the best sermon about God you'll ever hear, just reading and looking and watching him. I, and, and we can see it, him clearly. It was all fuzzy before. It was fuzzy. Old Testament, sort of fuzzy. Sort of fuzzy. Kind of an unclear picture. You got glimpses. And listen, I can, I can look at creation and know he is there. And know God is there. But I just, just there's some details. There's some questions. And, and Jesus comes along and makes everything clear it's it's like this sometimes in our family uh i'll get we'll get a a video taken by a phone one of our kids phones he'll take a video and uh on that video will be some activity that our grandchild is involved in and we'll get that video and it will come from his ios phone and to our android phone and it'll be fuzzy you know there's a kid in there but you can't always make it out. It's not clear. Apple designed it this way, I'm convinced. Apple designed it this way, so you, can't, you can look at something and it doesn't show up on the Android, it's clear. And it's just like, it's all fuzzy. It's, it's just not clear, it's just not um, compatible. Compatible. Quality just doesn't, it's not the same. Christ came and, and testified, and he's perfectly calibrated. Right, in, right before our eyes makes it possible for us to see God. And we cannot understand him any other way. I, I want to tell you, you cannot understand God any other way than what Christ has told us about him. He explained God to us. He came into the world to tell us about God and how to get to God. That's what he did. He came into this world and put God and God's attributes on display. He testified about heaven and how to get there. Hebrews chapter 1 says it this way, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions in many ways in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son. He's a speaking God, and he has spoken to us in his Son. He is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's why he's superior. He doesn't, have to, he doesn't have to say things like you and I have to say. He doesn't have to say things like, um, he doesn't have to think of how to solve theological riddles. You know, we ask all those big theological questions and how to solve them. He did not, does not have to do that. He doesn't have to say, oh, I've got to wait till I get to heaven to ask that question. He doesn't say that. 
He's all-knowing. He's omniscient, all-powerful. He is omnipresent. Though he came into this world and put himself in limitations for a season, he is God. Even when he was on the cross, dying, he was in charge of everything. He sustains all things, creates all things. He was holding it all together. And when he speaks, we must listen. That's the point of verse 32. When he speaks, we must listen. He testifies. He testifies. He testifies. And there are two responses to him testifying. You see in verse 32? And he speaks in hyperbole here. There are those who receive it and those who reject it. Those who receive it and those who reject it. Some people want to hold on to their own self-focus. Some people want to hold on to their own gods. Some people love their sin. They won't let go of it. They love their sin more than they love Christ. They won't let go of it, and they reject Him. Their deeds are evil. They love evil, and they won't let go. Folks, that is what the ungodly do. They make much of themselves. They would never think of making much of Christ. They want to make more of themselves. And then there are those who embrace the truth. This is the right response, and I don't think this is the majority of people at all. I don't believe the statistics that speak of these huge number of Christians. I just don't believe it. I think it's a small number. I don't know what it is, but... But some receive his testimony. They embrace the message of repentance and salvation. And those people, when they do that, you know what they do? They certify something. That's what the word set sealed to this and set his seal to this. They certify that God is true. It's like a notary saying this document is true. It's a certifying, like certified mail, important, right, and true. No question that this is true. And that's what the person who receives it is saying. I know this is true. I'm not hoping it's true. I'm not speculating that it is true. I'm not thinking, well, I'll just try Jesus because I don't have any other options type of true. No, this is true. I know that I was in darkness and now I am in light. I know that there's a time when I hated God and now I love God. I know there was a time I had no desire for God's word and now I desire God's word. I know there was a time when I loved my sin more than Christ and now I know that God made Christ so much more attractive to me and saved me. You have heard those kinds of testimonies at baptism services at this church, haven't you? People who were lost and God found them. People with no hope and now they have hope. They certify. They put their seal on. This is true. That is why why a true believer will not turn away. That That is exactly right. 1 John 2 says, when someone who says they're a Christian and they turn away, 
John says they never were. You don't turn away from something that has been certified as true in your heart and life, and you've seen the change, and you know, you know what he says is true. He's the one that says, he's the one that told me who I was, and he's the one that told me what I need to do about who I was. Three, notice in verse 34. In verse 34, for he, this is his, his exalted job. I don't know if that's a good title or not, but his exalted job. I want you to see this. Hey, disciples, John speaking to his disciples, listen, listen. The reason he must increase, he must increase, is because of the message he brings, which is so unique, and because he has a different zip code. He is from heaven. And now his job was so exalted. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. When Jesus was speaking on the earth, the people would say, man, nobody talks like this guy. The scribes and Pharisees, they're always quoting somebody. He never quotes anybody. He, his words... His words were just penetrating. His words were just different. Who is this man? No one talks like this man. And what this verse is saying here is he basically, um, he was a man whom God sent to plug us into God. Now let me see if I can make that clear. He was, he was one who came to to plug us into the power, the source of power that we do not have. Let me see if I can explain it this way. Earlier in John chapter 3, Nicodemus, okay, the Jews believed that the prophets would get a dose of the Spirit of God. The Jews believed that the... um, all the prophets would, they weren't, had all of God's spirit, but they had dosages of God's spirit on their life. And they would speak for God when they had that. And the more of the spirit of God that that prophet had, the more you should listen to him. And the less of the spirit that that prophet had, the least you should listen to him. That's why when John the ba- when excuse me, Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night, he says, we know you are of God. We, we know you have to be from God because nobody can do what you're doing unless he's from God. Basically, he's asking, how much of God do you have? How much, much of the Spirit of God do you have? And so, you see the word in there, in that verse, without measure, speaks of dosages. It speaks of, it's a measurement. It's a a metric is the word that's used there. Um, And God endorsed the ministry of Christ by giving him the full dose. It wasn't ladled out in dosages like people would think, the, the Jews would have thought. No, he was given the full measure of God's Spirit. He was full of grace and truth. He was full of the Spirit of God because he was God. He was 
total humanity, 100% man, but he had the spirit of God in totality in him. And why I say that is because what he does with that is he turns around and plugs us into it. Turn to John 16, 14, 16, excuse me. John 14, verse 16. I, I, like, the, I like this. I just think this is the neatest thing. He says in verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom you cannot, the world cannot receive. Listen, the world cannot receive the spirit of God. Only those who believe in him. Having the Spirit indwell you is what it means to be a Christian. And what Jesus, who was full of the Spirit, turns around and does is give that Spirit to you and I. He plugs us in. He plugs us in. Because it does not see Him or know Him, but you know Him because He abides in you and will be in you. I hope that's clear. First Peter, Second Peter chapter 1, he has made us divine partakers of the divine nature. We are in union with Christ. We're plugged into the power source as believers. We have a power we never have. We ha- have never had. We have the power to obey God. We have the power to fight sin. We have the power to share the gospel. We have the power to live this Christian life. Sadly, we can also quench the Spirit. Sadly, we can also grieve the Spirit at times, and we all do. But nonetheless, we have been plugged in to this power that works mightily in us to conform us to the image of Christ. He brought us to God. And in doing so, He took the deadness of our souls and brought them to life by the power of His Spirit. And we can manifest the fruit of the Spirit because of this. So that we might understand and know Him and grow in Him and be changed by Him. And number four, go to, back to verse 35 of chapter, John chapter 3. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. This is my Son. This is my beloved Son, calls Him, in whom I am well pleased. John 17, in the prayer, the Father loves the Son, the Son loves the Father. You have to wonder, though, the the Son obeyed the Father, and yet the Father crushed the Son. How's that love? How's that love? If I didn't have this verse, I would wonder. But the Father loves the Son. This is my beloved Son. He's the only one who was qualified, the only one who was qualified to rescue us. He was the only one who was the perfect Lamb of God. He's the only one that could satisfy the divine justice of God. He is the only one that was worthy enough to go to the cross on our behalf. Just turn to Daniel 7, 13. And in Daniel 7, 13, verse of chapter 7, Daniel 13, 7, 13. He says this, I kept looking in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven 
I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. He came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him, to him, to the son, to the son of man was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the peoples and nations of men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. The ancient of days, that's God. God gives the Son kingdom, dominion and power and authority. All things have been given into the hands of the Son. He loves the Son. The Son went to the cross for us. God crushed the Son for us. God crushed the Son because that's the only way divine justice could be satisfied. It's the only way that God would be glorified. Revelation 5, you don't have to turn there, but in Revelation chapter 5, he takes the books, breaks the seals in Revelation 5. Everybody is singing a song, worthy are you to open the book. And break its seal because you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. That's in Revelation. That's future. Daniel is talking about the future. God designed it this way. God designed the one he loved, the son he loved, would be crushed for us. And all things would be given to him. All authority would be given to him. You can't say that about John the Baptist. You can't say that about anybody. All authority has been given to Christ. In Matthew 28, he says, All authority has been given to me. All authority has been given to me. And then he tells them to go into the world and make disciples of all the nations. I I was reading or listening to Joel James talk, and he said something I thought was very interesting. He put together a list of all the different things he could find that related to what the Father gave to the Son. And I'm not going to share all those. He had quite a list, but this was just a few of them that I thought were very helpful. He will judge. Understand this. He will be the judge one day. He will be the rock that divides the water one day between those who believe and those who do not believe. All judgment has been given to the Son, John 5.22 says. Matthew chapter 7 People are going to come up to Jesus on that last day, and that, on that day of judgment, and they're going to say, well, I did this in your name, I did this in your name, I was this, I was that, I went to church, I gave money, I did all these things, and he is going to say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. He's the judge. That's a role given to Christ. He's saving, he was given the role of saving people, saving those who believe in him, Acts chapter 4, there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. Understand this. There is no religion on the planet that will get you to God except the religion of of divine accomplishment, the religion that says God came into the world to save us. Human religion is all about man trying to get outside the box himself by his own personal achievements things he does, those religions of human achievement will not get you to heaven. The only one religion that will save you is Christianity. The only religion is Christ. only religion is the religion that upholds the name of Christ, that he is the only way to God. 
I don't care how faithful, I don't care how sincere people are in other religions, they will not get to God. They will face judgment. That's hard to say, but we believe in the exclusivity of Christ. There is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved, and that's the reason we take the gospel to the world. Only Christianity says God came down to man. He is creating, I said this earlier, Colossians 1.16, he creates all things, all things were created by him. 1.17 says he sustains everything, he's the sustainer. On the cross he was sustaining everything and he is the reconciler. He reconciles all things. All things in creation because of the peace through his blood. He conquers, Revelation 19, the second coming of Christ. He will conquer his enemies. He will conquer the Antichrist and his followers. He will come on a white horse. He will come, the one who is called faithful and true. He will strike down the enemies of God, and he will be called King of kings and Lord of lords. That's Revelation 19, and 11 and following. John the Baptist says, you can't say this about me. What are you, try- what are you trying to do? You can't say any of these things about me, about any of us. This is Christ, and this is why he must increase, and we must make much of him, and we must proclaim him, and we must tell the world about him because there is no other name under heaven that will give any hope whatsoever. We sang the song in Christ alone. Do you believe that? You're going to get tested on it. Your Mormon friend will come up to you and talk about his religion and you see how good a life he lives and he's a good person and all of that and you're going to be tempted. Oh, I wonder if. You'll be tempted on that somebody else in Jehovah Witness or some other cult and they live a good life and you're going to say, oh, just a good life isn't going to get you to heaven, folks. Faith in Christ alone. All right, let me close with this. Verse 36. This is how it's all responded to. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. The best way to put your feet to all this truth that we've just studied is you believe in him and you will have eternal life. You reject him, you will remain under judgment. That's what the verse says. A judgment of God abides on you. It remains on you. The only way to escape the judgment of God is faith in Christ. The gospel is a command. That's why he says, obey the command to believe the gospel. Obey the command to believe the gospel. It's also another way of just saying, believe. Believe in the Son. If you do not believe in the Son, if you do not obey the gospel to believe in the Son, You will not see life. It's very clear. When you go to heaven and you stand at the gates of heaven, it's not going to be St. Peter. It's not going to be St. Peter standing there. It'll be Christ, the judge of heaven. And what will he say to you? That's not a role that John the Baptist had. That's not a role that a priest in a church has. That's not a role that anybody else has but Christ and Christ alone. If you're you're not a Christian, I pray you would repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ.
You put your faith and trust in him. There is no other hope. If you are a Christian, I pray that you would just preach this truth and recognize the need you and I have to grow in humility, to cultivate a heart of humility that makes much of Christ and less of us. Father, thank you for our time today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. We praise you and love you in Jesus' name. Amen.